enjoy it while it lasts. Well, if you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 8 once again, today we're going to begin to get in some of the just meat of this chapter here. The title of the message today is Swaddled. And I know that may sound a little strange, but as I was reading and studying the, the scriptures that have come up next, as we've been going through this, this word swaddled just seemed to best describe the incredible news that Paul writes here. Now, if you have had babies in your home, I'm sure you know what it means to, to swaddle them. And it's when you take a blanket, like the picture right there, and wrap the baby up tight in it. It's a good way to calm down a, a crying baby, a good way to, to help them fall asleep faster. They say that the feeling of that, uh, that confinement and that warm blanket uh, makes them feel like they're back in the environment that they had been in for nine months in the mother's womb, and so that makes them feel safe and secure. In my home, I was the chief swaddler of all four of our babies, um, and I took pride in that role because it actually takes a little bit of skill to be able to get it just right. You can't do it too loose, you can't do it too tight, and you've got to be able to do it and tuck it in such a way that it's not going to come undone after you lay them down. For some reason, I had a knack of being able to wrap our babies up like a Taco Bell burrito, and they would just go right to sleep in no time. Today's message is actually going to be uh, the first part of really a two-part series within a series uh, that we're in in Romans here, and there are three main truths that Paul is going to point out in the remainder of chapter 8 that we're going to look at. We're going to focus on the first two things today, and then we're going to look at the third one next week, and it is these three truths that when you realize what they really mean should give our spirit a sense of just being swaddled in the security of a loving father. They should just bring to us a great sense of, of peace and security. So beginning in verse 26, let's stand together and look at these first two things. Romans 8, 26, Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. God, I just pray that the truths contained here in this scripture that we just read, Lord, would be, God, just as refreshing to our spirits as the cool air was when we woke up this morning. God, I pray that we would find that security and that peace in what you are telling us here. See what it really means to belong to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask you to just reveal these things to us, just bury them deep within our hearts and renew our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, how many of you have ever felt guilty about not praying enough? 
And in the times that you do pray, maybe you don't really know exactly what you should be praying, or rather you're praying the right way, and so you feel guilty about that too. That's something I'm sure that most of us can probably relate to. I know that that's happened to me, and I'll be the first to tell you that I'm no expert when it comes to prayer. I cannot tell you with certainty all the ins and outs and particulars of exactly how prayer works, and at times I am somewhat baffled by it, to be honest, because I know that in God's absolute sovereignty, majesty, and power, that He doesn't need us to pray. I mean, it's not as if we are tying God's hands by the fact that we aren't praying. And it would be very arrogant for us to think that God depends on us for anything or that we somehow cause him to move. If God wants to move, he's going to move regardless of what we are doing. He is going to accomplish his will. Now, even though this is true, God still calls us to prayer. And he wants that to be a a big factor in our relationship with him. And there are instances in Scripture where prayer obviously played a role in the outcome of events. And Jesus himself spent lots of time in prayer to the Father when he was here on earth. And so I know for a fact that prayer is a huge deal to God. And what we can see here in verse 26 and 27 is that prayer is so important to God that He is going to make sure that we are getting in on it and receiving the benefits of it even when we are weak at it. Even when we don't know exactly what to pray. God's not going to let us get out of prayer by using the excuse, well, I just don't know what to pray about. I don't know what to pray for. And God's going, that's okay. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray for, and He's going to intercede on your behalf, but I'm not going to let you miss out on this very vital aspect of our relationship. Now then, does that mean that we can just go about our business and do whatever we want, and the Holy Spirit's just going to pray for us while we don't have to pray at all? No, because in verse 26, He says the Holy Spirit helps our weakness. In the original Greek, the word that Paul used for help here is actually a word that um, is combined of three different words put together. And each of those three words means together with, over against, and to take. It speaks of the action of a person coming to another person's aid by taking hold of the load that that person is carrying. He's not taking the whole load by himself, but he's helping the other person, and they are carrying the load together. So this isn't, don't worry about praying, the Holy Spirit will do that for you. You just do whatever you want to and just rely on him to do that. No, it's saying, pray. Pray as much as you can. Pray. Take time to pray. 
but you are not left on your own to try to figure out how to do it right or try to figure out exactly what you're to pray or know if you're praying God's will or not. I'm not going to leave you alone in that because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to make sure all that is happening. The Holy Spirit will help you by praying exactly what needs to be prayed. And here's how that truth is like being swaddled in a warm blanket. Too many of us are living with anxiety in our relationship with God. I mean, we're anxious about not wanting to mess things up, not wanting to mess things up in our life, anxious about, you know, not messing something up that maybe He has called us to. We get anxious worrying that we may not have done enough of whatever it is we think God is asking us to do. And I've talked to many who get anxious feeling like uh, they might be praying the wrong thing. And they actually get paralyzed with it and don't, are afraid to pray because they're afraid that they're going to pray the wrong thing. And so God's going to answer that wrong prayer when he could have been answering what they prayed for the right way. And so they just overcome with all this anxiety about it. And too many of us live with this idea when it comes to God that if I don't do this or if I do it in the wrong way, then God's not going to do whatever it is I'm wanting him to do. If I do this the wrong way or if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to mess things up and God's going to be disappointed at me. He's going to be mad at me. And in our self-centered lack of confidence we have somehow assumed that everything, as far as our relationship with God goes, everything hinges on our performance. The truth of verse 26 and 27 should eliminate any anxiety like that because this is God essentially saying, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm not going to let you fall flat on your face and mess things up to the point where it's going to go completely against my will. And I'm not going to determine how I act based on how you perform. Because if that was the case, I wouldn't be acting very much at all. Because none of you are able to perform adequately to my requirements. So God's going to go, it's not about you. So just get over yourself. And as we move along through the rest of chapter 8, you'll see how this is just one small aspect of the absolute security that we have in Christ. I loved the analogy that Kenny Thacker used when he was here preaching one Sunday, when he was talking about how the Holy Spirit works uh, in our life. If you were here, you remember him talking about how when he first got one of those GPS navigation systems for his car, you know, the ones that tell you verbally where you're supposed to go each step of the way, like at 200 feet, turn left, at the intersection, take a right. And so he is amazed by this technology, and he said, I'm going to test it and see what happens if I do this. So he's driving along, and it said something like turn left at 200 feet, and so he purposely turned right at 200 feet instead of left and wanted to see what it would do. And he said, you know what I've discovered? He said, it didn't scold me. And say, you moron, you turned the wrong way. It didn't say, you know what, if you're not going to do what I'm going to tell you to do, then I'm just going to shut off and leave you on your own. It didn't do that. 
It said one thing. It said, recalculating. Just recalculating. Even though he was going in the wrong direction, it mapped out the correct route to get him back in the direction that he should have been going. And his point was that that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. And nothing is going to keep his purposes from being accomplished in you. Nothing. Your purposes may not be realized. But God's purposes for you cannot be prevented. The Holy Spirit is there to guide us in the fulfillment of that purpose. Now, we do still have free will choice. And so you can choose to go in a complete opposite direction that the Holy Spirit is leading. And when you do, you're going to encounter the potholes, the traffic jams, and the occasional accidents that are going to come down that road. But God's not going to scold you for that and cut off his relationship for you, the Holy Spirit is going to take over and simply go recalculating. And he's going to use those experiences that happened when you took that wrong road to get you back headed in the right direction that he has for your life. And that brings us to verse 28, one of the most popular verses in the Bible. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Last week we talked about how we are completely, or we are not immune from the suffering of this broken world. We are all going to encounter it at some level. And if you are a follower of Christ who is leveraging your life for the sake of the gospel, you can expect to encounter more suffering than those who are not leveraging their life for Christ. And the reason for that is because this world absolutely hates Jesus. And so the more you make of him in your life, the more you are going to get attacked for that. The more you are going to suffer for it. But no matter what type of suffering we encounter, whether it comes from our bold stand for Christ or simply from the brokenness of this fallen world, this verse right here enables us to not be moved by the suffering or to be overcome living in fear of it. This truth here is what enables us to walk in the peace that surpasses all understanding that Philippians 4, 7 talks about. It's a peace that comes right in the middle of a situation where you should experience anything but peace. And the world would look at that and go, how can you be having peace? How can you be so calm in the middle of this? That's not right. That, that, doesn't, that surpasses my understanding. You say, because of Romans 8, 28. It's a peace that is born from a complete trust in God. Now, I've said this before. I truly believe that the highest level that anyone can attain in a relationship is trust. It's not love. 
I mean, we can very well love someone and still not be able to fully trust them. We love our spouse, but the majority of the fights we get in in a marriage really boils down to a lack of trust in each other. And I'm not talking about fearing that somebody's going to be unfaithful. It's trusting that my spouse has my best in mind, that uh, I can say anything to them without fear of being attacked or judged, and trusting my spouse with the deepest, darkest secrets of my heart and not live in fear that they're going to use that against me somewhere else down the line. I'm telling you what, being able to fully trust someone in a relationship just opens up so much freedom in that relationship. And that completely applies to our relationship with God. The majority of the struggles that we have in our personal life, I believe, boil down to a lack of trust in God. It's pretty simple. It's the root cause of a lot of the fear that we live in, a lot of the anger. It's the root cause of those who feel like they have to be in control all the time. It's one of the main issues of the heart that manifests itself in our behavior. But if we could let the truth of Romans 8.28 really sink in, we'd be able to eliminate a lot of that with a greater trust of the Lord. Now, depending on which Bible translation you have, this verse is going to be worded a little bit differently. And depending on how it's worded can affect uh, your whole perspective on this. I know a lot of you uh, read the NIV. The NIV says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. If you have the King James Version or the New King James, it's going to say, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, I have nothing against these translations, either one individually. I think it's fine to read them. They're not my preference, but the problem I have with the translation of of Romans 8.28 in in those two instances is that it can, uh, we can easily interpret that to mean that the things that happen in this world, they just happen, whether whether it's our fault Satan's fault, somebody else's fault, or nobody's fault at all. They just kind of randomly happen. And God sees what happens, and when he sees it happening, then he gets involved in order to work that event out for the good for his people. It may be something that God didn't really see coming, something that kind of caught him by surprise, something that was not a part of his plan or his will at all. But as soon as he saw it coming, he jumps in there and he makes sure he's going to turn that into some type of good in our life. It's as if God wasn't involved at all until after the event had already happened and then he gets involved in it. But I believe the New American Standard Version more accurately conveys the reality of what's going on. I've talked before about how I prefer the New American Standard and the English Standard Version because those two tend to more accurately um, or, or translated more accurately to the original Greek and Hebrew to a lot of other translations. But there are two words that are used in this New American Standard Version that aren't included in the other versions that I just read. And I'm going to read this again and see if you can notice what two words were missing in the others. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Did y'all catch which two words it was? God causes. And those two words are huge. And I like it better because it conveys the idea that God is involved in every event from its very beginning, at the very conception of that event. Now, it's not God causes all things, and we stop there. It's God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. God does not cause evil to happen because he is the source of all that is good, not evil. But the truth is, and this is a hard pill for some to swallow, it would be accurate to say that God allows all things. God allows all things and then he causes those things to work for good to those who love him. You know, there's basically two ways of looking at God's involvement in this world. One way is kind of what I said earlier. This world is just a collection of random events. There's really no rhyme or reason to uh, the why or, or how things happen. They just happen. This world is broken. Satan and his minions are running rampant. And so we are going to encounter some of the bad things. That's just the way it is. And so God just kind of sits back. And lets it all unfold like he kick-starts it and sits back and watches it. Everything just kind of runs its course in the brokenness of this world. And then he gets in there and interjects on behalf of his people at certain times. The other way of looking at the world is not as a bunch of random events, but as a great design that is meticulously planned out by God who is involved in every single detail of every event that is going on in this world. And that perspective is actually supported more by Scripture than the other view. Ephesians 1.11 says that he works all things after the counsel of his will. Not some things, not only just the things that he likes, all things. Hebrews 4.13 says that nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Listen to this, Psalm 135.6. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and in all their depths. So if God is involved in the goings-on of the deepest parts of the ocean, would He not be involved in every detail of your life? I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Daniel 4.35, he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand and say to him, what have you done? Listen to me. Nothing happens in your life without first being sifted through the hand of a sovereign, loving Father. Nothing. And if you know God's heart, then that truth right there 
should be like a warm blanket wrapped around you. If you don't know God's heart, you're going to have a problem with that statement. And as God is going to come across to you as some cruel, sadistic, evil being who delights in the pain of all these people on earth. The reason why some people have a problem with that and the reason why we get mad at God and wonder why he allow, would allow some of the horrific things that happen in this world or why he would allow uh, us to go through the pain and the heartache of things that we go through in our personal life is because we refuse to acknowledge anything larger than or outside of the one small perspective that we have. We refuse to acknowledge there may be something outside of and bigger than what our brains are capable of taking in. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you a picture up here. What is that a picture of? Some will say nothing. Some will say a gray square. That picture, what if I told you that picture is beautiful? And actually, I mean, maybe by itself, it may not be that pretty at all. It may not be that exciting. But that picture right there is key in making something very beautiful. Watch this. That's just one pixel of many, many, many more pixels that come together to make that. Something comes at us in life, and that is the pixel of the mosaic that God is putting together of our life. And all we can see is that one little event. God sees that same event just like we do, because remember, he allowed it to happen. But at the very same time, he also sees how that event affects other events and how those events roll into other events. And how all those events combine in working out his purpose in your life. Now, because God sees everything in light of the big picture, sometimes that kind of tends to make us think that he's not all that concerned at all about the little pixels in our life. That he's kind of removed and distanced from that. But the Bible clearly shows that that's just not the case. And although he uses the painful events in our life to create this beautiful thing that he desires in us, that doesn't mean that he's not empathetic to our pain. In Isaiah 57, 15, God says this, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly lowly, and revive the heart of the contrite. Yes, God is way up high where he sees the entire mosaic pieced together by the individual events that come at you in life, but he's also right there in the middle of every one of those events with you, comforting us when we hurt. Hebrews 4.15 says that he sympathizes with every one of our weaknesses because he's experienced them too. He knows. He can say, I know that hurts. I've been there. I've done that. And I'm right there with you. 
But trust me, it's all a part of something better. Just trust me. Here's the bottom line. God's desire for your life is to lead you into pure joy by molding you more and more into the image of Christ. He is all in on your joy. And some of the things that he allows may hurt for the moment. They may hurt for a long time. But they're going to lead you into joy. Remember last week, Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Everything that God allows to come in your life is done for two things. Your good and His glory. Your good and His glory. Everything. Now, I'm going to close by telling you something that happened to me sometime last year that illustrates how this truth, if we really believe it, how we can apply it, and it'll be like being swaddled in that warm blanket. It was late, late on a Saturday night. I was up here in my office trying to prepare the message for Sunday, which I try everything in my power to have to to keep from working on those on Saturday night. I try to get them done a lot sooner, but this had been a real hectic week. There's actually two people that had died, so I did two funerals that week, so I wasn't able to spend the time studying and preparing lesson like I, I wanted to. So finally, I was able to come up here late at night and begin to work on it, and then sometime after midnight, I'm completely exhausted, and I'm almost done typing out the notes, and my computer just goes out, and I didn't save anything. I had lost everything that I'd just spent hours working on, and so at first I just stood there in shock. And then I felt my blood pressure begin to rise. The shock gave way to anxiety and anger, and I began to feel the heat start in my neck and go up through my face. It was like the top of my head was on fire. The short fuse of my temper had just been lit. And anything within reach of me right there was in danger of being destroyed in some fashion. The thing was, a big part of the message that I was working on had a lot to do with what I'm talking about here. How God is involved and allows every detail in our life to come at us. And at first I thought, really God? I mean, why in the world would you allow this to happen? What good could possibly come from this? In that moment, I did not know how to pray into this situation. But the Holy Spirit did. And he reminded me right then that even the smallest most seemingly insignificant events in our life God is in complete control of. And he works them all out for my good and his glory. And in that moment, I just said, okay, Lord, I don't see any good in this whatsoever. I mean, it seems like such a pointless thing. It would have been no small task for you to keep that computer from shutting down. But... I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you that you know exactly what you're doing. And in an instant, my blood pressure went back down. 
and all that anxiety and anger just immediately washed away and I had this overwhelming sense of peace just come over me and I was fine with it. I was like, you know what? If I don't get any sleep at all tonight, if I have to walk out of that office and ride up here on the stage in order to preach a sermon, that's fine because I'm trusting that God's in control and he knows what he's doing. I still don't know exactly why God allowed that. I mean, this is not one of those stories where I later find out that there was this horrific accident out on the loop that if I had finished earlier than that, I'd have been involved in. It wasn't it? I mean, maybe there would have been an accident. I don't know. I probably won't ever know the answer to that this side of heaven. And you know what? The truth is, I don't have to know. Some of us get so hung up on, I've just got to know why. No, you don't. You just got to trust God. Now, I understand that losing my sermon notes on the computer is a pretty petty thing in light of some of the things that some of you are dealing with, some of the events that God has allowed in your life. But it was that small event that taught me how to trust God more and enabled me to walk in peace, fear free of fear and anxiety and anger when bigger things have come at me since then. And maybe that right there was God's whole reason in allowing that to happen, to teach me how to trust him with that little event so that I could then apply that to the bigger events that come. And it's worked that way. I mean, that was a huge lesson. What Romans 8.28 tells us, is that we can trust God. The question this morning is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Now, if the world is just a collection of random events removed from God's involvement, then then that would be a lot of reason to live in fear and anxiety. If that's the way things are in the world, then I'm going to be pretty paranoid, really. I mean, if it's just random chance and at any moment something can come at me that, that God's not aware of, that he, he, he wasn't behind, then that's pretty scary. But knowing that every event has been sifted through his hands first assures me that no matter what comes, he's got this. God's got this, and he's got me. And then I'm swaddled in the love of a sovereign, good father. And if that's not enough for you to feel absolutely secure in Christ, just wait till you hear what I'm going to talk about next week. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that you are in control of all that goes on in this world, of all that goes on in our lives. Lord, your word said here that you do all this for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, there are some who don't fit into that category. know you're still going to work things out for your glory, but maybe not so much for their good.
So, Lord, if there's anybody that fits that in this room today, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would quicken their hearts right now to let them see that that is them, that they are outside of that. And, Lord, would your Holy Spirit draw them into relationship with you, that they would repent of the sin that has been entangling them, and they would give their life to you, King Jesus. Lord, I pray for those right now who have struggled with some pain, some event that has come at them in life, and maybe there's some in here that have been mad at you about things. Lord, I pray right now you would just release them from that anger with the assurance of your spirit. God, that you've got their best in mind. Lord, help us to see outside of the little pixels in our life. Not that we have to see the big picture, but just that we have to recognize that there is one and to trust you with it. The Holy Spirit, I ask that you come in the remainder of this time right now, do the surgery in our hearts that you desire to do. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.